Listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times, with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison. Welcome to another episode of the SDSU Football Podcast. I am Andre Hagverdian, and I'm joined by Paul Garrison. How are you doing today, Paul? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, this is our second episode. Uh, for those of you who missed the first episode, we highly recommend you go and check it out after you're done listening to this one. Episode one included interviews with three incoming freshmen for the class of 22, all three who are enrolling early in this for the spring semester. Definitely recommend you check it out. Um, some great insight from some new Aztecs. In this episode, Paula and I interviewed two defensive players, Seguna Luby and Sefo Mailangi who were super seniors this past season for the 12-win uh, Aztec team. And their time on the Mesa has ended, so it was really good to, to catch up with them, get some more insight into their Aztec careers and what may be next for them. Before we get into the interviews, uh, Paul and I are going to talk about the Aztecs' offense the last two seasons under uh, offensive coordinator Jeff Hek- Heklinski, and if the offense has made improvements uh, over those two years and what we can look forward to in 2022. Paul, what are, what are your thoughts on, on this topic to start it off? Well, I mean, anytime you use the word better, that's a judgment call. And so I think you have to put it properly in the context of what better means. And when it comes to San Diego State's offense, I think better understanding what better means, you have to go back to 2015, 2016, 2017, right? Um, the Aztecs, one back-to-back Mountain West titles. And then in 2017, um, after DJ Pumphrey graduates, the reins are handed to Rashad Penny. And the Aztecs offense looks really dynamic. It looks really good when those two tailbacks were primarily the ones carrying the ball. Uh, they scored in 2016, 52 offensive touchdowns, 33 on the ground, 19 through the air. And in 2017, 46 touchdowns, 33 on the ground, 13 through the air. But then they hit a wall. 2018 shows up and they only score 30 touchdowns. They go from averaging in 2016 and 2017 They're over 250 yards a game on the ground, and it drops to 161. And they begin to question their offensive philosophy. The Aztecs are seeing that without a special back, their offense can't put up points. Um, So they make the switch, and they go to the spread. And the idea of moving to the spread, according to them at the time, was trying to make it simpler for their offensive linemen and their quarterback to read the defense. Defenses were stacking the box, just like we saw this year, but they also were bringing the house on any play action. And there just wasn't, there was a lot of missed blocking assignments, wasn't a lot of time for the quarterbacks to throw, and they didn't take advantage of the coverage on the outside. So in simplifying it and taking the fullback out of the offense, putting, you know, either that, hybrid tight end out on the slot, multiple receivers. They wanted to take advantage of if teams stack the box, could they take advantage of the one-on-one matchups on the outside, being in the shotgun versus being under center, all of these things. So the goal was, can the offense manufacture and produce the same level of points that they had when they had Pumphrey or Penny when they didn't have someone so special? And if that is the definition of improvement, then I would suggest to you that in both categories, the offense absolutely is improving. They scored 42 touchdowns this year, 26 on the ground, 16 through the air. But I think especially towards the second half of the season, I think you saw saw the quarterbacks get comfortable enough to take advantage of the single coverage on the outside. And for the first time, since they talked about it at the beginning time, they were able to make teams pay 
for stacking the box and stacking the run. So I think from those perspectives, better means did they take advantage of what the defense was giving them? And second half of the season, they absolutely were. Yeah, I mean, I would say looking back on some of the statistics for this past season, you know, they rushed for 175 yards per game, which is 54th in FBS. But, you know, the first five games of the season, they rushed for over 200 yards per game. I think they were in the top 10 at that point. And as the season progressed, whether it was, you know, the play calling or whether they were facing better defenses, better defensive game planning, stack in the box, that number came down. Um, and it did force the passing game to have to be better. And as you said, the passing game was better over the last, you know, four games, specifically the last four games of the season. So I, I think that was definitely an improvement. I mean, the team scored 27.4 points per game this season, which was 78, which is kind of middle of the pack. It's not great, but it's not terrible as well. It was enough for them to win 12 games. Um, so in that sense, the offense did enough things to win games, put points on the board to help the team. Yeah, and no question. You bring up that 27.4 average, and that's up from 24.6 the year before and 21.2 in 2019 and 20.62 in 2018. So they are improving. The, the question, I think, as they go into 2022, asking, were they able to improve their offense because they had another elite back in Greg Bell, right? The question was, if you, you know, obviously, I mean, Rashad Penny right now, I think any playoff team would trade their starting running back for how he's playing right now. I mean, he's, he is, I think, arguably the best running back in the NFL over the last five games of the season. Um, and he was unbelievable. Uh, in fact, you'll see an article coming out um, soon or an article that just came out, excuse me, where Cade Bennett, who, who came into San Diego state last week, he was at the Arizona state game when Rashad Penny went wild. And that was kind of the first seed for him thinking, man, San Diego state would be a cool place. And then here he was, you know, last week um, committing and, the question is, is did the offense improve or was Greg Bell close enough to Rashad Penny close enough to DJ Pumphrey that that is that, that that's the difference. And I think we're going to find out this upcoming year, one, how much those running backs have improved. And then also, I think we're going to find out whether or not um, teams are going to be forced to have to play them honest, right? We, we, interviewed the head coach part of the press conference with the head coach for the university of Texas, San Antonio. And following that game, he told us like, I mean, the question that I asked him was about how surprised he was, how well the Aztecs passed the ball that game. And he said, you know, the quarterback was really good, but we were geared up to stop the run. That's what we were trying to do. And I think that as long as teams do that, what we saw from Brookshire in the Boise State game, what we saw from Johnson in the UNLV game, and also in the against the Roadrunners, like we just talked about, is what needs to happen. And then, I mean, I think you start to wonder what happens when teams play them honestly. What happens when teams face a balanced Aztec attack and Chance Bell, Jordan Bird, um, Armstead, whoever else they have running the ball, what happens when they're getting the ball without a stacked box? What does that look like? Because we haven't seen that since, I don't know when. <laughs> it's been a few years. You know, and, and then another interesting dynamic to think about, especially this past season in the offense, is San Diego State was one of the best teams in the country with minimizing mistakes, whether that's turnovers or, you know, negative plays. You know, they, they had 12 turnovers lost on the season in 14 games. That was tied for 15th in FBS, only through five interceptions, which was tied for 10th. They only they allowed less than five tackles for loss, which was 38th in the country. Those are great numbers. That gives your team the ability to not lose a game, right? But is that more of a product of, of the team playing it safe and not, um, you know, trying to make plays down the field that could potentially become turnovers 
Um, is that a play caller not trusting the offense, the, the quarterback? Um, so that's an interesting dynamic to kind of dissect as, as the years go on to see how that number changes as a team throws the ball more, right? If you're running the ball, running the ball, running the ball and passing it a little bit, you know, obviously your interceptions are going to be low, but is that a product of playing it too safe? Um, or is that just doing it, you know, being really good at protecting the ball? So that's something, you know, to, to dissect as, a, as, as the next season starts. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that there's a couple of clues uh, about what some of that could be. Um, I think, you know, Greg Bell, what he did, what he does best and in a balanced offense, he would get more opportunities to do is he's amazing at cutback lanes. He's amazing at being able to get back to the other side and break a big play. And as the season went on, teams were very content to allow him to just hit the hole and get a few yards, hit the hole and get a few yards um, and not allow him to have any of those cutback lanes. And I think by doing in order to accomplish that, they just didn't bring a ton of pressure. They had to stay in their run lanes. They they couldn't uh, focus in on the QBs, which goes back to the point of saying that like these quarterbacks, they faced um, defenses that were geared to that that were geared to stopping the run. It should allow them to pass really well, and so it was good that they finally were able to to get that going. Um, I will say something that that was interesting um, about just looking into the last few years and comparing the different offenses, um, you know, San Diego state had that reputation of being a team that controlled the clock. And there was fear that as they moved more into the passing game, they would lose that ability to, you know, just dominate the time of possession. And they've actually been better at time of possession um, in the, the last two years under Heklinski than they were in 2016 than they were in 2017. And, and so that was a really interesting kind of eye-opening thing that, um, you know, Heklinski spoke to us about at, during spring ball, that, that it, they're still trying to keep the defense on the sideline. They're still trying to um, use the clock to the Aztecs advantage. And as time goes on, be able to impose their will in the running game. Um, and, you know, they threw the ball 361 times, right? Which obviously doesn't include QB scrambles or things of that nature. And they rushed it 571 times. That, that discrepancy um, is not as big as it was in the Rashad Penny those times, but it is definitely um, right in line with that philosophy of continuing to be a team that pounds the ball and also is more opportune in the passing game. Um, so it, it was interesting. It was interesting how it worked. And then I think another component that is just hard to, to factor in is the Aztecs have a philosophy. And I, it'll be interesting to see if this is another um, something that continues. But they have a philosophy of just wanting to win the game that's in front of them. And that meant against teams like Hawaii, taking the air out of the ball, grinding out a win hardly passing at all, you know, and in a lot of the games that that is what the Aztecs did. They just didn't have very many passing attempts. Um, but then again, the flip side of it is other games, they led with the pass, you know, and, and so it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But again, my final um, idea about if the offense is improving is to, again, go back to why they said they were moving to the spread and they absolutely are making it obvious for the quarterbacks and for the offensive line exactly what the opposing defenses are doing. It's very clear, and it's a pick-your-poison, and they pick their poison to stop the run. And then the second part is, if they're going to do that, you have to take advantage of one-on-one of -on, -one on the outside. Halfway through the season, they remember that Jesse Matthews was on their team, and they really look like a much better passing team than they had at any other point. And so it'll be, it'll be interesting, as we said, that taking that improvement, how they move that into the 
next year, you know, with a new quarterback, with a new running back um, and pieces along the offensive line and tight end. Yeah. Another aspect of the offense, you know, you met, you talked about the, the Donnell Pumphrey and the Rashad Penny days, you know, obviously those guys dominated on the ground, but those guys also caught a lot of passes in the passing game, uh, made a lot of plays in the passing game, whether it was coming out of the bad backfield or, you know, motioning out and lining up, you know, in the slot and, and beating a linebacker or, or a safety. And, you know, you're just not seeing much of that at all in the last two years. You know, just looking back at this past year, you know, Jordan Bird had 13 catches for only 76 yards. You know, he's probably one of the fastest guys in, in the conference. Uh, Chance Bell only had one catch for four yards. Uh, Keegan Williams, I believe, had seven catches for 70. And Greg Bell might have had a couple catches. You know, just not utilizing you know, your running backs in the passing game, I think was disappointing because I think you've got talented players there that can take advantage of some of those one-on-ones against linebackers. Yeah. I remember um, watching them um, in practice um, during the fall. And there was a play where Kagan Williams um, caught a 50 yard pass diving right in front of um Number twenty, the safety number twenty, a uh, local different Helix. Yeah, Rashad Scott. Thank you. And um, and it was just it was the play of the entire day that that you know we were there. And um, I think that in order to unlock the backs in the passing game, um, I think they're going to have to get vertical. Like they can't just be. Um, swing passes. It can't just be screen game. It can't just be, you know, short little passes. I think they're, they're going to have to show to the defense that they're a threat to run by them. So they can't collapse on them when they do in fact, throw it short. Um, I think another really difficult part of getting the backs involved um, when you have only one back is that the Aztecs quarterbacks were not great apart from play action. So if you're going to fake the handoff to the back, he's going to get gobbled up at the line. And then that's going to take him out of the opportunity for that little dump off. Um, But I agree with you. It seems like in college football and professional football um, for that matter, being able to dump the ball off to the back and have the back get five or six yards or make one guy miss and pick up a first down. seems like every other team is able to do that, but that has not been a part of SDSU for the most part. Right. I mean, we, we alluded earlier to that ASU game and I still, one of my favorite plays ever, uh, Christian Chapman's able to dump it off to um, Rashad Penny. And it's a favorite play because that poor safety who was out in space with Rashad Penny. And it was just like, I mean, you and I could have done just as good as that safety, which means we couldn't have even come close to him, you know? And, uh, and so I think that they absolutely need to get that in, involved. And if they're going to continue to have those two back sets, um, they're going to need to have, um, you know, Jordan bird, be able to run like a receiver, run into the middle of the field, run, get deep, use that speed to stretch the field um, to just make them play honest because um, there was a bullseye on JB's back whenever he was in the game and defense is keyed on him. And um, I think that really limited his production. Yeah, definitely a lot more to discuss about the offense and improvements for next year um, based, you know, as, as the off season progresses and we get into spring camp. So a lot more to come there. Our first guest is linebacker Segun Alubi, who played two senior seasons at San Diego state. In the 2021 season, Segun played the Will linebacker position, splitting snaps with Michael Shawcroft, totaling 53 tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, two forced fumbles, and 10 quarterback hurries. Hi, Segun. Welcome to the SDSU football podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me on. So you guys ended up uh, finishing out your season in a historic, you know, 12 win uh, season for San Diego State. Can you kind of go back and ex- and give us the kind of your breakdown on how you ended up choosing to play at San Diego State? Uh, 
Yeah. So basically, I, I was um, leaving Harding and I was looking for basically the best opportunity to play Division One football near my home. And San Diego State is a perfect fit. That's a great defense to play in. You know what I mean? And they, those coaches gave me a chance. You know what I mean? Not every coach is looking at me. Those coaches, Coach Hoke and all those coaches gave me an opportunity. And so that's why I ended up going there. Okay, well, so then you go like further than that, right? You become a team captain. Um, it, could you just like let us know how how does the voting for that work or how do they do that? I can't exactly imagine Coach Hoke sending out like a text message by Google form or something like that. So yeah. how does the mechanics of, of you being chosen and appointed as a team captain? Yeah, so basically, uh, with the, basically what we do is we vote as a team. So every player votes except for freshmen. If you're a freshman, they say that you haven't been there long enough to know guys. So freshmen can't vote, but all the all the players vote and then all the coaches vote as well. And then they tally up the votes and whoever gets the most votes. Usually it's two offense and two defense, but me and uh, Trent actually tied. So we ended up both both being captains. And so, I mean, what what does that look like? Is there like a secret ballot box or something like that? Oh, no, How do they tell the votes? We walk into we walk into a team meeting, and they have everybody's name on the um the board, the big board up there, and then they have ballots. They just pass out ballots, like select um two for, two offense, two defense for every, everybody. Selects two offense, two defense, and then you put that in, and then they count manually uh, after the meeting. Now, you uh, were one of five, as you just mentioned, because you and Trent um, tied. And, of course, like when you guys go out for the coin toss, you can only have four of you all out there. Mm -hmm. um, so so the very first game, you had the shield and you like led the team out um, of the tunnel. How did you get that one and they got to go out into the field? Uh, we just rotate. The coaches rotate. Um, the strength staff, they decide who gets the shield. Um, usually it's, it's a great honor to have that shield. I mean. Some there's been seasons where one guy has had it the whole year. There's been seasons where you make a big play, you get it. So, yeah, it's a huge honor to do that. And so, yeah, we just talk about it before we go out there. Who's going out? Who's not? Kurt Maddox is the defensive coordinator at San Diego State. What was it like? What is he like as a coach to play for him, to study under him, to go about you know playing a season under him? Uh, it's special, you know, because he's meticulous, you know. So that's one of the things that I'll, I'll probably carry with me is just the level of detail that we're looking at um, scheme and that we're looking at the offense with. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. Very Definitely very locked in on small, small aspects of the game as far as footwork and technique. And that, like, that's something that I really appreciated. So it was, it was cool. He's a goofy guy. You know, sometimes you get him in a meeting room and all the other coaches can hear him because he's loud. He's, he's kind of, he's goofy. He tells a lot of jokes in the meeting. Um, and he, you can tell that he's emotional. He loves what he's doing because yeah, he, He's emotional when when we play bad and he's upset, you're gonna know about it. You know what I mean? He might not necessarily be screaming and cussing everybody out, but he'll be a little more reserved. Or when things are going great, he, you'll see a huge smile on his face. You know what I mean? So yeah, that, I like the um, I like that about him as well. You could tell that the passion was there. Prior prior to San Diego State, what how much familiarity did you have with the three three five defense? And was that difficult for you to get accustomed to, or was it was it fairly straightforward? Um, for me, because I came in and I was playing safety, right? And so I had been playing in three safety systems my entire time in college. So it was it, like that part of it was really easy. So and then when I got moved to backer, I didn't know any better. You know what I mean? So it, I was used to playing. I was used to playing with three backers at that point. So or yeah, three backers at that point. So yeah, it, it wasn't that huge of an adjustment because a three three five is the way we played it this year was very similar to a four two five, which was the last three defense that I, I played in. So it wasn't that huge of an adjustment as far as personnel and uh, alignment. Now you just talked about uh, playing more of a four, two, five. Um, do you feel like that that's like part of how uh, coach Maddox kind of calls it? Or was that just based off of the fact that you had some elite rushers and you guys were going to be facing a lot of teams where you guys would be dropping into the zone, quick passes, things like that. Yeah. So Caden's real good at the line of scrimmage. He's real good at the line of scrimmage, elite pass rusher. Um, gives great effort down there. He's good at setting edges. So it wasn't a huge issue for us to be putting uh, one or the other. It was better for me to be off the ball because I'm an ex-safety, you know what I mean? So basically, we would have him line up on the ball, and um, they would call it to where I was more in space and blitzing and things of that nature, the wheel position in our defense, so things like that. Yeah, and then, um, you know, you guys, obviously, for the last two years, uh, you know, you didn't play in San Diego. Um now that that's over with and, you know, any ideas of like having an excuse or anything like that is kind of out of the way. 
how difficult was it the last two years not having a true home game? It was it wasn't because you play road games too every year. You know what I mean? So every year you do play road games. So it was it was kind of like every game was a road game, but the coaches did a good job making sure that we were familiar and knew what to expect. And so like like you would get there and yeah, it it was not in San Diego, but it felt familiar. Everything felt like home, you know what I mean? Like we stayed in the same hotel. Half the time I stayed in the same room, even, you know what I mean? And the stadium, we're familiar with the playing surface. We we did scrimmages there, you know what I mean? So we had been playing there for two seasons at that point. So it yeah, it was like a home away from home. It was very much a home away from home. I mentioned at the beginning of the interview that the Aztecs won 12 games this year, something they had never done before. When you look back on the season, what's what's the one thing that stands out to you from the team, from the season in general? Yes, the fact that we won 12 wins, but the fact that we didn't win 13 games, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that that one game, I really wish we would have had that, you know what I mean? Everybody wants to go 14-0, but having the opportunity to play in the Mountain West Championship and win that game, that would have been the, the, the huge cherry on top. You know what I mean? How, as a team, obviously that was a disappointing game, regardless of the circumstances. How was the team able to put that aside and focus on the Frisco Bowl? Because you guys played a really good opponent. Now that opponent might have had their own you know, circumstances with missing some guys. But how was the team able to kind of put that behind them and focus on the Frisco Bowl and go out and, and, and beat a really good team. Uh, main thing when you when you're coming off a loss like that is to just get that taste out of your mouth. You know what I mean? Like it's not hard to want to play really well the next game because the way you played the last game was just so so beneath what you wanted to put out there. You know what I mean? So the the motivation is there, the incentive is there. So it's it's mainly trying to make sure that those guys that aren't necessarily in that mindset are locked into to that game plan and making sure that we're moving. Hey guys, we're moving on and moving forward. We're going to be locked in and we're going to make sure that we write that and finish this season with 12 wins. Now you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, your um, experience playing safety. Um, where, where, what are you thinking about as, as a position in the NFL? Are you, are you thinking getting back into the secondary weak side linebacker? What, what is it that that's kind of you've heard about and you've thought about as you're preparing for that next step? Yeah, so I'm very versatile, um, but basically every team that's coming to me that I'm hearing about is liking me at linebacker. And it's just mainly the fact that I can bring elite speed to that position, you know what I mean? Bring some explosion to that position. I can match up well with backs, tight ends, and things like that. So, And then I can get in on special teams. So playing in the secondary, um, I'm a bit big at times, you know what I mean? So that would I would have to slim down for that. And I mean, I could, but right now they're liking me at backer, and I, I'm comfortable where I'm at, so. So then what, what is it that like between, you know, now and um, the draft, how, how are you able to like showcase yourself and what are the events and um, that you're paying attention to? So right now we're, we're holding, crossing our fingers, hoping to get a, hoping to get a, a big ball invite. You know what I mean? One of those uh, nice all-star games. Uh, but right now I'm just combine training, hoping to watch some people, my combine numbers, you know what I mean? I'm real focused and locked in on that and I'm controlling what I can control. I mean, Anybody wants to talk to me, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to be honest. There's nothing really to hide. I've had a, an interesting, unique story, but nothing too crazy. And like I said, I'm locked in on the combine training. That's the real fun part about this. You know, look, looking ahead to next year for the Aztecs, obviously you will not be part of the team. You're, you have, you know, future goals for professional football. Could you give us a scouting report on the Aztecs linebackers for 2022? Yeah, so um, in the room, we return everybody except for Everybody except for me and Drew. So you're going to have Laka Laka, Cedric Laka Laka will be there. Um, Michael Shawcross will still be there. Obviously, Caden will still be there. And then we're looking for Vi to start adding some more minutes to his uh, Vi Kahu. He'll start adding some minutes. You know what I mean? And I'm sure that the coaching staff beyond that will will figure it out and be able to start divvying up who gets on the field and whatnot. But, no, I'm I'm not worried about our linebacker room at all. I think we're going to be pretty good next year. Yeah, you mentioned Caden McDonald, obviously. He decided to come back for his second senior year, which is something you did. What advice would you have for him as he starts that second senior year? Just stay hungry, you know what I mean? When you come back to do a second a second senior year, it can kind of get monotonous, you know what I mean? Like, you're kind of doing the same thing over again. I, I assume that's what it's been like for him, being in the same place for so long. But, you know what I mean? Just I, I don't think he'll have a problem just staying hungry, honestly. I think just stay the course and just be just be hungry attack every day 
like how, how we've been attacking every day. And you know what I mean? Him and Garrett are gonna him and Garrett are gonna get um together and work and they're gonna make each other better better. So is there is there one I know a lot of the, the the freshmen from this past season didn't get a lot of playing time in terms of kind of the the linebacker. Is there anyone that Aztec fans should kind of keep an eye out for that, you know, didn't get any playing time, but that's someone that's going to, um, you know, become a great player over the next couple of years that we should think about? Yeah, like I said, uh, a Vi. I really like Vi Cajo. You know, he's young, not necessarily a freshman, but actually, technically he is a freshman, yeah. He, he, I like his explosion, his passion for the game. I mean, the guy's a heat-seeking missile, so, you know, that's one of those, he's one of my favorite players. That's my little Toko right there. And then, you know, let's see. You know, there's a lot of freshmen. Don, I mean, there's a lot of freshmen in that room that are trying to come up and trying to establish themselves. It was hard just because we were a very senior heavy group. You know what I mean? Very established group. So a lot of those guys didn't get great opportunities. But I, I'm sure that they'll all be productive in the future. You know what I mean? Uh, so you've been great, man. Um, transitioning away from football, you ready for some rapid fire questions? Uh, no, but let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Favorite food. Favorite food would be paneyam. It's, um, paneyam and a, a goosey soup. Actually, it's a Nigerian dish that my mom, I like the way my mom makes it the best, but you can get it at a lot of bukas and a lot of different things. Um, delis, Nigerian delis. Can you describe it a little bit? Uh, basically they take the inside of a yam, um, a white yam, not like a sweet yam, but a white yam and they pound it up. You know what I mean? And they make like a, a doughy substance with it. And then they have um, a goosey, which is basically seeds from a melon. And uh, they'll put spinach in the soup and they'll make a stew with it. And they'll kind of cook that. And then you kind of eat them together. You know what I mean? It's yeah. pretty good. Uh, what about uh, your favorite TV show or movie? Favorite TV show or movie? Oh, I really, really, really liked um, Game of Thrones. I really liked Game of Thrones. I'm sad that it's over with, but I really like Game of Thrones. And who are you pulling for? <laughs> I was pulling for snow at the end. I was pulling for, <laughs> I was pulling for snow at the end. I don't want to get too many spoilers if nobody's caught up. But yeah, I was oh, by this point, they better be caught up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, man, I don't know, man. I thought he was too pretty. That's just you my, thought so? I just thought he was too pretty. Like I want, you know, a little bit, a little bit more rugged. You know what I mean? Like I don't no, know. No, realistically, I was pulling for um. Ned, I was really pulling for Ned in the beginning. I'm that, right. that one still hurts, you know. So. <laughs> How about a musical artist or group? Uh, let's see. Gunner just dropped, so we'll go with Gunner. Gunner just dropped the album. Uh, what about professional athlete? Professional LeBron James. That's a guy right there. No doubt. What What, what do you like about the King? Uh, consistency over a long span of time. I mean, he's been doing this thing as long as I've been alive. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he's top of his game. I don't know if there's anybody as athletic as him on this planet. So, yeah. No, what about a, a hobby? Hobby. I like to draw. I like to draw. And I do like to do yoga. I do enjoy yoga. What do you draw? Anything. Animals, football players. Um random stuff warriors anything i can get my anything i really just feel like drawing i really like uh aesthetic like bodybuilding and stuff like that so i like drawing like people warriors things like that very cool very cool what was your major at state economics now 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 don't be humble now you you you're a scholar yeah yeah definitely. dean's list definitely yeah dean's list most of my semesters um ba and econ graduated cum laude you know what i mean so so then is the current inflation that we're seeing as a country, is that something that is temporary or do you see that slowing down or do you see that continuing as kind of like the new normal going forward? Um, eventually it should, it, eventually it should calm down, you know, looking at different business cycles. Um, we are kind of overdue for a recession. So we'll look out for that to come up, you know what I mean? But yeah, it'll it'll slow down eventually. The reason it's so high right now is that there's a lot of factors that that's so high right now. But yeah, it'll slow down eventually. All right, and then one one more econ question, man. When you know, there's a lot of numbers that people try to look at to point to the health of the economy. Uh, what are the ones that you gravitate towards that seem to make sense for you? Mm, people people really like GDP. People really like GDP. Just measuring like how much we're making as a as a country and stuff like that. And then I like. It's kind of a weird one, but 
econ is a social science. So I like mm-hmm. um like the welfare numbers and like the the happiness numbers or like the you know what I mean? Because you measure happiness throughout countries. I like to look at like, yeah, people are making such XYZ money, but how happy are households? You know what I mean? That's one of the things I like to think about as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I I feel you. I like the idea of um looking at the people who are uh kind of dropping out of searching for a job, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Um, yeah. Because that means that there's either a robust kind of like off the grid, under the table job market, or the the safety net, as you alluded to, is kind of reaching the right people and they're able to make other decisions with what they're doing. Um, yeah, I put you on the spot with those econ questions because I knew you'd be able to bust them out, man. Thank yeah. you so much, dude. It was great. Thank you. Uh, appreciate y'all having me, man. For the record, I got my master's degree in economics as well, so... Really? Future future podcast episode is going to be in economics uh, 101, and we'll have Sagoon back uh, for that as well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> one, one, last last remember everything. <laughs> one, one last question is that, you know, when you were at answering the favorite food question, you mentioned a Nigerian dish. For, for the Aztec fans that aren't may not be aware, can you tell us about kind of your, your ethnic background, uh, where your family's from and things like that? Yeah, so both my parents are from Nigeria. My my father actually lives there right now. My mother lives here in uh, California with me. But yeah, they're they're both from there. My mom did some a lot of her schooling in England, as well as Nigeria. She went to university in Nigeria, and then she came over here and went to University of Minnesota. And like I said, my father still lives over there. My aunties and uncles still live over there. Uh, got some cousins that live in England, so that's kind of where we're at with that. Great. Well, we want to thank you for uh, coming on the podcast. We definitely appreciate your time. We appreciate your your uh, years at San Diego State. Obviously, the team had a great season. Obviously, could have done better. You know, I know there's always that what one what if game, but uh, we definitely appreciate your time and and chatting with us and uh, letting us uh, into a little bit of your um, you know preparing for the draft and things like that. So we appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate y'all having me on, man. Thank you. Our next guest is defensive end Sefo Mailangi, who played three years at San Diego State. Despite limited opportunities in the 2021 season, Sefo registered four and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks, and three quarterback hurries. Welcome, Sefo, and thank you for being a guest on the SDSU Football Podcast. How are you doing today? Doing great. How are you guys? Good, man. Good. You, Sefo, you were born in San Diego, but you went to high school at Edison High in Huntington Beach. How did, when did you move out of San Diego and how did you end up in Huntington Beach? So I, uh, I was born here in San Diego uh, and then my mom decided to move out of San Diego just to get closer to her family. And so first we moved to Laguna Beach and then from there she actually wanted to get away from our family. So she moved, she moved to Oakland <laughs> and then from there uh, she just wanted me to grow up how she kind of grew up because she's from the island of Tonga, the kingdom of Tonga. And um, it's kind of, it's right next to Samoa. And so she wanted me to grow up the way she grew up. So she sent me over there for a couple of years. And so I lived in Tonga for a couple of years. And after that, I moved back and she actually moved down in Huntington Beach with all my uh, uncles and cousins and stuff. So when I moved back, she just was there and says, this is where we're going to live. So it ended up in Huntington Beach. So, I mean, take me through that. I mean, you, you go and you move to the island. I mean, what, what, what was that like? I mean, with culture shock or I mean, what, what, you know? Oh, total 360 culture shock. Like they don't, in Tonga, they don't really have freeways. You could pretty much walk the island in a day. That's how small the island is. But it was just, it was an experience that I definitely needed to know more of my culture, my Polynesian culture. And I did some crazy stuff as a kid out there. And I, I swam with whales. I, I was dirt biking, like, and this is at when I was 10 years old, and, like, I was doing all these crazy stuff, stuff that, like, kids would, would want to do at the age, and I actually got to do it just in a different area. So how old was your mom uh, when she made that decision to send you back? She was probably, she had me in her in her late, in her early 30s, so this is probably when I was around four or five, so she was about, like, 38, 39, so she was just saying, you know what? You need to you need to get that experience. It, it kind of backfired on her because she wanted me to live the way she lived. She lived in the village. She had to walk to school. She had a cold showers, and it kind of backfired because I lived with my aunt who ran a five star hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
who gave me a hot shower in my own room. She gave me a taxi <laughs> me to and from school for like a taxi. So I, I, I was living pretty good and it kind of backfired on my mom. So she was like, just come back home. <laughs> uh, okay. So then fast forward, man, you go out to Saddleback. Um, but how, how did you end up in Saddleback? Um, to be honest, I, I wasn't gonna, I was going to be done with football after high school just cause I, I didn't, I wasn't where I wanted to be. And so I, uh, I kind of, in my mind was just, I'm done with football. Maybe I'll go try to play rugby. And my mom really pushed me to get my, at least my degree, my bachelor, my AA degree. Um, she, if anything, I need a degree. And so she really pushed me on that. So we looked at the best, um, junior colleges and we both think that Saddleback was good. And I, I loved Saddleback. And then, uh, then going there, man, how, how, why state? Initially, uh, Coach Hope just, you know, I felt that love off rip when he merely got to state, you know, he he knew the guys that he wanted to get and he made sure that those guys were loved. Um, during the recruiting um, weeks and stuff, he would constantly make trips to see me at Saddleback and almost like an everyday thing just to make sure I'm okay, uh, everything's going good. And just immediately when I felt that love, when I came on my official visit, I met uh, Coach, Coach Thomas and just some of the other coaches. And I just, I really felt the love and I really saw what they were trying to do here. And I really bought into it. And so um, after my official, I pretty much committed. Uh, I just loved the school. I loved the area. And then on top of that, just reminding that I was born here in San Diego. So why not make a full 360 and come back? Nice, nice. Now, when you initially, you played on both sides of the ball. When you initially came to state, were you, Technically playing tight end, and you moved to defensive line later in that season? So, uh, originally, I came in to play defensive and also on linebacker. And um, those first couple of weeks was they didn't know where to put me because they also saw my film and also played tight end. So, every day, I was bouncing from offense to defense, trying to learn both things, trying to learn both positions. And then, finally, Coach Long, he uh, pulled me into his office and said, hey, like, we want you to play a tight end this year, like for this season. Could you do that for us? And I said, of course, I'll do anything for the team. And then once the season was over, Coach Hope told me that he was going to bring me back to the defensive line. And so I said, okay. So I pretty much, wherever they told me to play, I'll play and I'll do the best of my ability. You mentioned, uh, obviously, Coach Hope and Coach Thomas in your recruiting. You know, what is it like to play for both of those guys? No, they're, they're great coaches. Um, Coach Hope really knows what he's talking about. and you know, he, he gets you fired up every week. He makes sure you know the goal, that the whole team knows the goal. It's the mission, and we got to execute the mission. Um, you know, at times it did get hard, but, you know, that's what we needed at times. Like, we needed – we got comfortable at times, and I really think that they brought the edge back to us, definitely. Um, okay, and so this, this last year, um, you know, obviously not a starter, playing behind some uh, really talented defensive linemen – but in the time that you had in, man, four and a half tackles for loss, um, nine tackles in the year, you, you were very successful in like that attacking style. Um, w- what do you think like was your key to to that success? I mean, I me, I, I had conversations with Cam almost every time we, we were during the games and stuff. And whether it's him going in or me going in, if I made a tackle or if he made a tackle, every time we came off the sideline, like just be a game changer. And that's the, that's one of the things that we told each other as a D line, just be a game changer. No matter what the reps you got, be a game changer with what you can get. And so every time I try to get in, I, I try to make as many plays as possible. And I'd have him right there next to me saying, Hey, be a game changer. And I said, That's you. And we just go back and forth with each other. And so that's just one thing, like on the D line, we try to support each other. If someone does good, then we we're we're gonna be right there behind his back supporting them. So no matter what the the rep count is, someone Someone's doing their job. We're going to support them. Now you were part of the senior leadership class twice and you have, you had, you know, you did the COVID year, right. And then of course the year in Carson, and then you do the second year in Carson. I mean, just as being part of that senior leadership group, um, how how difficult was it these last two years, um, not just COVID, but also playing away from San Diego the last two seasons? Um, it was difficult because when I first got here playing uh Col- Colcom, I believe we played there. Um, I mean that was that was just an unbelievable stadium. Like just seeing the fans, like all of San Diego, really getting to come watch us. That that was something really dope. And uh, when they told us we 
we, had, we were going to play in Carson at first. We didn't. We were like, why are we playing in Carson? But Coach Hoke really told us, like, no matter where we play at, even if we play at a high school field, like, we're, we got a mission. We're going for win 22. And so that was no matter where we played at, like, that was on our goal. Yeah, it was a two-and-a-half-hour bus ride, but <laughs> we're there for, for a mission, so. Now, the, the team, you guys came off a historic, you know, season, won 12 games for the first time. When you reflect back on what you guys accomplished, what stands out to you the most? I think just one, the leadership coming from uh, the year before, a lot of the guys that came back, I mean, we went four and four during that COVID year. And so they they really told us that four and four is not good enough to win the conference championship. And so we took it as a senior leadership as, yeah, he's right, four and four is not is not good enough. We need to, We need to win every single game, but it goes by week by week. And so we really, um, we really like emphasize it within us and then with the younger guys as well. Like, if you're not with us, like, then you're against us. So, and we, we really made sure like the younger guys knew what the mission was. Cause even though they were new and they didn't really know how the system works, we made sure that they, they knew what, what we we're all trying to do. So, you know, your time on the Mesa has ended. So, what's next for you? Um, well, right now I'm 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 trying to see all my all my cards, all my playing options. Um, I'm trying to see maybe going Division Two if for another year just to get more film, um, or if not, just try to do great on my pro day and try to hopefully a team would like to pick me up. Um, and if football doesn't work out, I'm definitely gonna go back to play rugby because I used to play rugby for eight years, so I might go back to do that and see if I can go pro for that. That led in perfectly to the to the next question. Uh, you played rugby <laughs> for USA rugby team. Um, you know, you represented the, the the boys high school all American under 17 squad in France for a 2015 match. I mean, that's you weren't a I mean, you weren't a rugby player. You were a rugby player, you know. Uh, but so how did, how did you get into rugby and, and, and how was that experience for you? Uh, so it kind of started back on the island, really. Uh, I was I used to run track and field back in the island, and so my uncle was really funny. He's the head of the rugby coach over there, Eric, the rugby team over there, and he was like, "You should come play." And I was like, "What do I got to do?" He's like, "Larry, just pick up the ball and run to the other side and run." And before then, like I was a lot skinnier and faster, so I was I was like, "Oh, this is easy." And then when I came back to the U.S., I kind of got uh, kind of grew into my body, and I'm like, "Okay, this is this is a little bit tough," but yeah, just. Playing rugby probably was one of the best experiences and still is one of the best experiences in my life. Um, it brought me to places that I didn't really like go. Um, like I said, to France, to Belgium. Uh, my, my senior year, we went to Canada. Um, I went with another team to England. So it was just traveling a bunch of places. That's where rugby really brought me. Okay. So you said that you grew into your body and you weren't quite as fast, man. But uh... – we put a clip out there on social media of you almost running down Jordan Bird on a kickoff against Utah. Um, can you take us back to that play? I mean, you've got to be one of the fastest defensive linemen out there, period. <laughs> yeah, so on that play, I, I low-key missed my block. And uh, the guy hit Jordan, and in my mind was like, oh, shoot, I just missed my block, so I better catch up and block the next guy. And so as I saw him running, I was just trying to look for someone to block, and uh, I kept on looking, and there was no one there. And I was like, "Oh, I might beat Jordan to the end zone." <laughs> I don't think he could have ever lived that down if 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 he had that, if if you would beat him. <laughs> uh, no, I told him every day I think for the rest of the year, like, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna get you." I'm gonna get you. <laughs> he was like, "In your dreams, Sappho." <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, did you uh, earn your degree from state? Uh, yes, I just got my degree this past semester um and then i will be walking in man that's awesome what did you get your degree in uh interdisciplinary studies what were any emphasis uh no not really i just okay not really all right last question for me um could you could you give us a little bit of a scouting report um on the aztecs and the defensive line group a lot of you all are leaving um for 2022 and and what maybe aztecs fans can expect from that group going forward yeah, this this next upcoming group is it's going to be good. I mean, we got the young guys who already bought into what we need to do. And I, I already know there's a couple of transfers that State has picked up on. Um, there's a defensive lineman from Tulsa. I can't remember his name. And he, he looks like a 
dude. So I, I expect a lot of greatness coming out for this next this hundred team, this hundred San Diego State Aztec team. You know, they come out with the bang because they really emphasize on us last year being the 90th, 99th team. So this is the hundred team. So they're gonna come out with the bang. I know that for sure. And I know everything that every player that comes in. They're going to be bought into the system real quick, and they're going to know what to do and want to do it here. Awesome. Um, the guy the, the guy from Tulsa is Devin Lamp, uh, who transferred. Yeah. So yeah I, I had checked out his uh, some of his highlight sets, and I was like, this dude's a dog. He's a straight dog. So San Diego State's they, – they're – after us leaving, they got good hands that's going to be there because there's a couple guys coming back as well that I know – um, that's that's really going to make an impact again, the same impact. Like Caden McDonald, he made an impact last year, senior leadership, and I know he's going to do the same thing again this upcoming year. All right, you ready for some rapid-fire, non-football-related questions? Let's go. All right, what's your favorite food? Favorite food, sushi. Okay. Um, any particular place in San Diego you like to get sushi? Uh, there's a place called Coochie Sushi. Uh, I think it's right next to like Costco or something. There's a long line. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how I know right next to Costco. Uh, favorite movie or TV show? Ooh, favorite movie. I'm going to have to go with the Black Panther. I actually got a Black Panther on my, on my arm. So that's one of my oh, favorite nice. What's your uh, favorite musical artist or group? What are you listening to right now? Ooh, um, I listen to a lot. But right now, it's really, really stuck in my head. I say Blast um, and a little bit of Drake, a uh, little baby. I don't know. I, lately, I've been listening to a lot of like old school. So like Earth, Wind and Fire. And that's okay, what I've been just feeling lately. <laughs> nice music that when Paul and I were children. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Earth, Wind, and Fire, bro. So, nah, it's great quite music. Quite you can never go great music. <laughs> yeah. What about favorite professional athlete? Ooh, my favorite professional athlete. I've always been a LeBron fan, but I would say my favorite athlete, I would say, I say Mike Tyson. Why Mike Tyson? Just because, like, he, he talks a lot of smack, but he can back up with it, and he's just one of those feared guys anywhere and i don't know just that mentality of just like whenever he goes into like to, when he was a boxer every time he stepped into the ring he was a menace and i love that mentality and that's why i i try to bring that to football rugby is just have that mentality of being a dog like no one's gonna stop you and then last question favorite hobby Ooh, favorite hobby um i am a gamer but I also like to like go out and like hike. I like to go out and do outdoor activities, like go to K1 Speed or just hang out with my friends and just kind of enjoy the time that we have with each other, especially now. Cool. Uh, thanks, Sefo, for hopping on the podcast today. We definitely appreciate your time and uh, good luck in your future endeavors. Thank you guys so much for having me. Okay, Paul, we, we got a chance to talk to uh, Segun and Sefo. What are your main takeaways from uh, talking to both of them? Okay, the first thing is these two guys being able to talk to them at length, right? Not just being able to get a soundbite here, a soundbite there, short answers at a press conference, but being able to just sit with these guys a little bit and get to know them is exactly why this podcast exists. And so grateful that both of those guys were willing to come on. And then, I mean, they were amazing, right? I mean, they were absolutely incredible. They did a terrific job in the interviews. And I think we got to learn more about them um, than we knew their entire time. And, you know, uh, Sagoon, uh, starting with him, he's a team captain and yet he's only been an Aztec for two years. Right. And you look at the other people that he would walk onto the field with and we knew them because they had been there for a long time. They were Aztecs, you know, and for the opportunity to get to see, um, how he's thinking about the professional ranks, how he is preparing for that. Um, and then just to see his personality. I mean, you know, he was just as adept at answering questions about economics as he was about explaining to us that, you know, they didn't really run a three, three, five this year as much, you know? And, and so I really appreciate that with Cepho. It was, it was just that life story. I mean, to go and to have to go live with your aunt who, um, 
owns a hotel and being able to have your own room and all the things that, that, you know, kind of uh, backfired on his mom. I thought that was great. His rugby history. Um, But again, I mean, that's just the reason why this podcast exists is because we want to be able to give that kind of voice to these players and to allow Aztec Nation to just deepen um, their their fanhood, right? Deepen what they know because, you know, professional athletes, um, these things are known about them but not always in the, in the college ranks and have the opportunity to have these guys share their story was really cool. Yeah. You know, I, I saw, I saw that econ question you're going to ask Sagoon and I thought to myself, like, is that such a good idea? Is this guy even going to be able to answer it? And not only did he answer it, you followed up with a second econ question, which he nailed as well. You know, I thought I'd have to do some editing uh, with, with some of those questions, but he nailed it. <laughs> you could tell he paid attention. Um, in school and, you know, based on some of the Dean's list and honor, honor roll things he got, obviously for sure. Um, one, one thing that stood out to me with Sagoon is also his, how he described kind of coach Maddox, you know, his level of detail, uh, meticulousness when it comes to footwork and things like that. And also how goofy he is, you know, I think there's a definite, uh, hopefully future podcast interview with coach Maddox in there that I think will turn out really well, just based on, um, the level of knowledge that he has. And I think talking to him at press conferences, you could tell uh, he has a lot of knowledge and I definitely will look forward to that. Um, just in terms for next year, I think, you know, one guy we both, you know, stood out to us in spring camp last year was Vi Cajo, linebacker. And that was the name Segun brought up in terms of, you know, a guy stepping into a bigger role next year, called him a heat seeking missile. Uh, so I definitely look forward to Vi stepping in into kind of that middle linebacker role um, next year and, and thriving because I think we've seen the talent on, on in, in practice and in scrimmages for sure. Yeah, and I think um, adding to that, I mean, that linebacking group um, should be loaded next year. I mean, as Sigun talked about Cedric Lakalaka coming back, um, putting him, pairing him with uh, Michael Shawcroft. Um, Vicaho, you mentioned obviously Katie McDonald's coming back. Um, at Garrett Fountain, he had three sacks last year. He's coming back. And you know, they, they're gonna be able to um they're gonna be able to be loaded at that position. Um, I, I thought another idea that, that really stood out to me is with Sefo is, is just about um his details about how good of a recruiter and a person coach Hoke is, right? And you know. Uh, I, I still find some of the coaching staff and the stories that they are at this point in their careers. I find those really interesting. Um, Jeff Horton and how he's the offensive coordinator. He, you know, gets the promotion to the associate head coach, but he does lose the offensive coordinator part. Right. Um, a lot of times coaches don't stick around when that happens. He not only sticks around, but he is an amazing, amazing ambassador for the program. Um, Coach Oak is with the Carolina Panthers and he chooses to come back to San Diego state. And that's where that recruiting took place. And he called it, you know, one of his most rewarding years in, in, in coaching. Um, and so just that they're, that these coaches are in it for the right reason. And, and for Sefo to give us that, that insight into it. Um, and, you know, you, you can imagine, um, you know, being coach Thomas, and seeing just a couple of years ago what Coach Hoke was doing in his recruiting and how he did that and having that as a model, you know, um, and, and I think that permeates through the entire coaching staff um, because Brady Hoke's a great recruiter. He's, he's one of the best recruiters in the country and he's passionate about it. And I think you, we got a little bit of a glimpse of that, um, you know, being able to, to encourage him, Sefo, to come down from Saddleback. Yeah, the, the last last point for me is both of these guys were talking about kind of pro uh, aspirations. You know, on the surface, you're you're probably looking at both of those guys. You know, going undrafted and trying to get on a team uh, as a free agent. You know, make making a, making a roster and training camp. But I think both of those guys um, have shown the dedication to football just through the different stops they've had over their uh, college career. And we definitely look forward to seeing, you know, what happens with them and, you know, seeing them potentially stick in the NFL or, you know, whatever they pursue uh, otherwise. 
No, I'm, I agree. And I, you know, I think um, there's going to be aspects for both of those guys when they do like their combine testing where they're, they're going to be fast. They're going to be very fast. And um, being able to, you know, there's, I, you know, I, I wish the, the Raiders were the old school Raiders because they, they would scoop them up in the first round being how fast they are. Right. Um, just, just that speed that they have. Um, and so I think that, that they're going to test well, and, um, they're obviously great character guys and, you know, it'd be, it's going to be fun to watch over the next few months and, and, and see what those options are available. Um, obviously you want them to be able to do whatever they want, but I'm, I'm kind of hoping Sefco goes into rugby. That would be a great yeah. story. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so that's going to do it for our uh, episode of the SDSU football podcast. We want to thank our guests again. Uh, Seguna Lubi and Sefo Mailangi. Uh, thank you, for listeners, for um, checking out this episode, and we'll look forward to the next one. You are listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times, with your hosts, Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison.